0: Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian Reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is King. There is no neutrality, no exile, and no surrender. My name is Jason. With me here today again is my co-host John. How are we doing today?
1: I am doing good, Jason. I'm just getting over a cold but feeling fine and just thankful it's just a we cold. are
0: uh <laughs> we are absolutely socially distanced as in several hundred miles oh yeah <laughs> true
1: you're still in the uh, beautiful state of virginia
0: and i'm in oklahoma yes although virginia virginia has been quite cold but nonetheless um yeah yeah, yeah i'm thankful for technology to be able to do this and and this is actually our uh, final episode for the year for 2020 and so yeah, we're going to give ourselves a little bit of yeah, a break. a little break for the holidays. I'm going to be doing some traveling and and uh, kind of reset in 2021, as it were. But, um, yeah, thank you all for being with us. Thanks for joining us for another episode. And, and uh, thank you all for, for tuning in online, on Facebook, and, and other places. Uh, just a reminder, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Music and Spotify. We're on Amazon Music as well. And so you can find our stuff there. Also, you can go to lambsrain.com. You can read some articles written by various contributors and some of our editors. Uh, you can find that information lambsrain.com. And uh, you can also check out our episodes if you're interested in sharing those types of things. You can sign up for the email list. You can also uh, find Crossing Crown Radio prior episodes there at lambsrain.com/ccr. And uh, John, tell them how they can support our work if they so choose.
1: Uh, the best way is to go to lambsrain.com support and you can decide to give to us to help us out on a reoccurring basis. You can get $5 a month, $10 a month, $100 a month, or you can just give one time. And that's super helpful. Uh, we don't do any of this for profit. We don't really make any money. Uh, all the funds that are coming in are just paying for the software we use to make videos, paying for the website, um, some real basic upkeep. So we'd very much appreciate that, and uh, we
0: want to thank all the people who are already supporting us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you all for for your generosity. And uh, do remember us in your prayers and giving. If, if the Lord leads you, we, we certainly uh, appreciate your your uh, support and your partnership with us uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is just a, um, a thing that I'm participating in, uh, a conference on post-millennialism. It's an online conference uh, hosted by uh, Pastor Brandon Scalf and Pastor Cameron Gray and some others. Uh, it's called A Purchased Victory. You can find it at cruciformministries.org. And uh, I was tasked with preaching, uh, teaching on post-millennialism as it pertains to health. So it's uh, gonna be an interesting combination, uh, just thinking through some things that I've covered in my book and, and uh, tying that to the post-millennial hope. It, it's a tall order, but I uh, <laughs> was working on it today and I, and I, I think uh, after some more edits and whatnot, it'll be ready to go, but just wanted to point people in that direction if they are f- interested in doing so. Uh, so today. And that's, uh, that's a a purchased victory conference? Yes, and, oh, and I should I should okay, cool. make mention that it, you can you can get access to the conference uh, just by donating any amount to the ministry there. So you can give a quarter or ten dollars, whatever, and you can get access to yeah. to that. So it
1: looks like it's got a lot of people speaking at this. Um, some friends of ours, some other uh, gentlemen, lots of people speaking with there. So
0: yep, yep. So that's it for housekeeping uh, tonight, today, uh, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> this is going to be a, an interesting last episode, mostly because we're going to to uh, break it up into a couple different segments. But for the first part, we really thought it would be fun to just talk about some of our favorite books from the year. We're almost to Christmas, and we're almost to the end of 2020. And um, I was just curious, John, from you, because I know you read a wide variety of things. I know you have... Uh, a lot of variation in your reading habits. And so let's just talk for the next few minutes for some of the books that we liked this year. Uh, I I know personally for me, I didn't read as many as I have been mostly because I did a lot of extra writing projects. And so that took up a lot of time, but what are some of the, maybe give me one or two of your favorites and and let us know, you know, what was it you liked about them?
1: Sure. Um, This year has definitely been the year where I've kind of revitalized my reading of large epic fantasy novels (laughs) and so i've uh i've gone back and restarted a series called the wheel of time by uh, robert jordan and i might be getting this wrong it's either like 14 or 15 books long and each book is a chonker it's big and um it's a very epic very big fantasy series that i highly recommend um if you're into tolkien-esque high fantasy without too much of the sexual content they might find and say like a song and fire of ice or something like that so if you're into fantasy you know definitely check that out it's not by any means like you know christian novels but it's it's also not gratuitous when it comes to um, uh adult content okay
0: interesting very cool yeah. uh, another uh yeah you go ahead and toss something out jason yeah 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 I, I actually, early on this year, I read the book American Secession, The Looming Threat of a National Breakup, oh, okay. and that was by F.H. Buckley, who incidentally lives not too far from us here in Northern Virginia. He's a professor at George Mason University in Fairfax, and I, I thought it was just an interesting book. He makes the argument for secession and and uh, just kind of historically what that's looked like, and he, he traces as well um, just what smaller countries are able to achieve that bigger ones aren't and those sort of things. And um, I just thought it was... I thought okay. it was, thought it was yeah. interesting. You know, just the idea of secession and what that might look like. And I think he gave some plausible scenarios and, and um, especially given the nature of our political election this year and, and things like that, it, it uh, gives us options to consider that perhaps may be a better way than bloodshed. So uh, I do recommend it. It's worth reading. Uh, yeah, any
1: any way that's not bloodshed is a fairly good option to me
0: yes definitely what do you what else you got john what else did you read this year that you liked um this one this one's a little bit different because it's not it's not strictly
1: theological and then again neither was fantasy novels um but there's a book called boundaries by uh cloud and townsend and it's a book on relationship boundaries and that could be friendships, it could be a marriage, it could be dating, and it's all just about healthy, um, respectful boundaries that you might have with people. So it's learning how to say no, learning how to say yes, what would actually be healthy and effective in building real trust, real intimacy with people, and um, I found it to be really insightful and helpful, and honestly a book that I think almost any adult interested in that kind of um mature dealings
0: with other people should be, should be a, a must read. Good. Very good. Um, another one for me I really enjoyed was doing business God's way by Dennis Peacock, who as far as I know is a Christian reconstructionist and, uh, very much, very much gives a lot of, there is a really good book just on business and you don't have to be a business owner. I'm not a business owner per se, Uh, you're not so you know i think anyone who's a christian ought to have a solid theological underpinning for business and economics and i i definitely recommend it lots of principles for management and growth and productivity and um, i do recommend pretty much anything peacock's written (laughs) i've read a few of his books uh, but i really liked this one doing business god's way
1: i've um i think i've only read like an essay of his but i really liked it It had to do with missions and um how a lot of times christian missions are very dualistic and only focus on the spiritual and that's why it doesn't succeed it doesn't actually go out trying to radically transform the society and um i really appreciated peacock's um thoughts on that it was it was great cool that's awesome uh, one book I really enjoyed this year was Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. And he just does a phenomenal job at explaining the Trinity in a way that I think most people should be able to explain. Uh, he explains a lot of the heresies surrounding the Trinity, like different ideas. Um, but one thing I think is really valuable is his take on um, heterodox ideas like the you know eternal... Subst- um, uh, submission to the Sun, for example, and other hetero- heterodox ideas like that that have caused such, such division and confusion in the church when it comes to authority and submission and gender roles and some of those ideas. Uh, so Reeves does a phenomenal job in explaining those issues while at the same time just really providing a book that genuinely brings joy to my heart in who God is. It's something as simple as that it's really profound um, theological but but also just really beautiful book
0: yeah that's awesome what's the title of it again, awesome. what's the title of it again? Uh, it's called delighting in the Trinity yes yeah yeah I think I think I have read that one actually come to think of it <laughs> Um yeah i another one i wanted to throw out there too is out of the ashes rebuilding american culture is by anthony Esselin and he's a professor i think it's thomas More college he's a a roman catholic actually and i thought it to be quite a fascinating book just in terms of civilization and building and um, why western civilization is the way it is and what what made particular aspects of civilization helpful um, without obviously um, you know glorifying the, the sins of the past, so to speak, of American culture. Um, but I, I just thought it was a really well done book and I, I do recommend people pick that one up as well. I thought it was, I thought it was really good.
1: Very cool. Very cool. That one sounds good. Uh, this is a book that I've talked about before. Um, it took me a while to get through it cause I was reading other things at the same time, but it's the, the wonderful, the wonderful works of God by Herman Bovic. Um, This book is, in in a lot of ways, an an abridged version of his reformed dogmatics. Um, But I think it's actually quite a bit more than that. Uh, They really presented, like whoever edited it, (laughs) uh, did a phenomenal job at presenting a book that I think is very digestible, uh, while really not shying away from... Explaining those really complex, beautiful concepts having to do with the covenant, uh, having to do with God's uh, Christ's church, um, the nature of the kingdom, like all those really great things that Bob Inc. is known for. Um, they really don't shy away from that at all. So it's very much an introduction to good reformed Christian thought, especially like a Dutch reformed perspective, which uh, I'm not Dutch reformed myself, but I have a huge amount of respect for them. And there are good, like one kingdom, a millennial friends,
0: yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have that book on my shelf. I have to get to it <laughs> eventually. Um, ah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I also grabbed the uh, Westminster Theological Seminary Press they just put out. Um, it's uh, J. Gresham Machen's Things Unseen. I think that's what it's called. And that looks really helpful, too. Kind of, I think it's the same same uh, printer as they did the Bovink book there. Um, another book for me. They're I, doing good work. Yeah, they really are. It's accessible too, which I like, because people can get bogged down in bobbing stuff. My my next book is Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg. I think he's an Orthodox Jew, uh, if I remember correctly. But just on communication basics, and I have to tell you, you know, there obviously would be things in there we might raise a raise an eyebrow at, but for the most part. It's just really helpful practical tools on communication and 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 you know being able to articulate how you feel, for example, <laughs> and not just saying I feel lousy. Well, why do you feel lousy? Well, I feel lousy because X Y Z. Or you know, and and just basic communication skills that unfortunately I think we here in the West in our Twitter age uh, really fail to do so, uh, fail to communicate in a lot of ways. And and I do think it's very helpful, at least just for me. Thinking through a pastorally and trying to help people com- communicate, I want to learn to communicate better, and I do recommend Rosenberg's book there, Nonviolent Communication. What else do you have? Uh, I have a book
1: that's a reread for me, about I haven't read it in probably ten years. It's a uh, Political Polytheism by Gary North, and it is a classic, and it's a classic for a good yeah. reason. Is his work on how a political pluralism within society just won't work how society needs a moral political standard um doesn't necessarily mean everybody in the entire society has to agree on every last thing but it has to have a standard because there's not going to be neutrality so a society Mm -hmm. must be governed by a single standard um that's going to be politics and the church and society in general and um he makes a, a very good case for that in that book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent book, excellent resource. Um, for me, uh, I don't know if you've heard John, John Taylor Gatto. He, um, I as far as I know, he is still alive, uh, but he was a public school teacher in, I think it was New York City. But the book's called Dumbing Us Down. And I think this made waves years ago when it came out. Uh, I, I think this was like an anniversary printing, if I'm not mistaken, but, but his, his view of education and seeing the failures of the public school as a public school teacher, it was just fascinating to, to, to see just the fragmented learning and um, disabilities that are skyrocketing. Why are they skyrocketing? And just the issue of mandatory schooling and, and it just a fascinating book. It's, um, dumbing us down the hidden curriculum of compulsory schooling. And it's very, very good. I think it's actually a collection of some of his speeches and there's one speech that's just absolute fire. What's the name of the book again? Dumbing us down. John Taylor
1: Gatto. I read a lot about him in, um, Murray Rothbard's pamphlet on public education. Ah. He pulled a lot from Gatto and, um, I haven't read him directly, but I definitely know who he is. And, uh, I looked it up. He, he actually passed away, uh, 2018.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure, but I and I, I had a hunch maybe it was recent. And if you want that book, I have it. I'll let you ha- I'll let you borrow. <laughs> oh, cool.
1: Thank yeah. you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, one one other book that I
1: read this year that I thought was really really helpful is a book called The Color of Law uh, by Richard Rothstein, and it has everything. It it primarily focuses on redlining. Uh, but it goes into lots of other economic regulations that have been used historically in America that have had extremely racist um, consequences. And how, uh, whether it is economic redlining um, or other kinds of economic regulations, especially within cities, but also just statewide, how those actual policies have had historically negative effects upon um, racial minorities in those communities and how those effects are still with us. Um, And I really appreciate it because it was just cold, hard facts. It wasn't a lot of um, uh, hyperbole. There wasn't a lot of, you know, sharp rhetoric. It was like, these are the policies. These are how they've affected communities. Um, And I, I thought it was really helpful and enlightening.
0: Okay, that's that's great. I've seen that float around. Definitely something I'd like to get my hands on at some point for sure. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Well, I have a, I think I have like two or three more. And uh, do you have do you have a couple sure. more? Sure. Go ahead. All right. That's
1: most of mine that I can think of right now.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going through my Goodreads list, so. <laughs> um, Uh, I need to get one of those because I know I've read more this year
1: but (laughs) yeah it helps
0: keep track of that it it really does especially when I do my year-end blog post it was like my annual thing I gotta I gotta go back and remember what I read but um, the the book by Amy Bird it's a book we talked about on a show on the show earlier this this uh, I think it was back in the fall but recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood just thought that was an excellent book you can listen to the podcast if you if you all want to know more about that and I'll, I'll make another mention here and then turn it over back to you but another one i think i've mentioned on the show was the book that made your world by vishal Mangalwadi. excellent book it's a thick book but he, man he covers everything in terms of how the bible and the authority of the scriptures and and basic basic christian doctrine shapes shaped much of western society in every facet whether it's science or education those types of things um, I, I think he makes an incredible case and I do think people should definitely be reading be, be reading his stuff. It's very helpful. Very cool. Yeah, I've heard tons of good
1: things about both of those books and I've actually started Amy Bird's book but I haven't finished it yet.
0: Okay, good. What else you got on your list?
1: All right. Uh, I've read um, more fiction. I've read that education pamphlet by rothbard about public education reread that one um goodness what else have i read this year put me on the spot that's all right (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) but yeah that's that's most of my top list for sure yeah yeah well i have uh, just two more then one of them go for it these are more recent and this first one is here are your gods by Christopher J.H. Wright, and it's Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. And he traces, I think some of it's actually from an earlier work that he put out, The Mission of God. That was one of his big works uh, and something I think he's more well-known for. But this is just a smaller book kind of based on that. And it's just excellent in terms of the power of idolatry and what idolatry does to you and to the people around you and the ways in which we make gods you know, the things that, that they entice us to do and think and all these things. And it's really good. It's a short little book. It's not super long, but man, is it really helpful thinking through idolatry and, and more specifically, not just being able to point out what an idol is, but what the idol does, what it tempts us to do. What does it say about God? And, and so I do recommend that one. And uh, another one, my last one I'll mention is The Price of Panic. And this was written by three different authors, but it said how, uh, how the tyranny of experts turned a pandemic into a catastrophe. And this book is very, very well balanced. And they dig into the data, the numbers, and the response to the, with the lockdowns to the coronavirus pandemic, um, dealing with the seriousness of the virus and how it is a, it is a real thing, and it really does affect people. Um and I just thought it was super balanced and very, very level-headed in in their assessment of of how we've reacted and responded and and why these measures may not have been the best decision. Um, so I, I do highly recommend that one. That That might be my book of the year, I think, just maybe because it's so pressing. Yeah, you
1: should write a full review of it. That's that sounds interesting. And I'm also, I'm also encouraged to hear that it's balanced. Um, Yeah, because a lot of stuff isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's 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 like we
1: can we can have prob we can have problems with this government overreach, and we do have plenty (laughs) of problems with this government overreach without you know dismissing out of hand the whole thing as some sort of weird fraud.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that's what I appreciated about them. Um, I, I think that they were trying to be just very, very even keeled and calm about it. And I think they they achieved it. It's very, very good. Definitely. Good. All right. Any more from you on that front? Those are the books. All right. If I think of something, I'll let you know. All right. <laughs> that works. That works. Well, hopefully, um, yeah, for our listeners who, if there's any of those that you, you, uh, you know, maybe you wanna ask us about or anything like that. feel free to message us. You can message our facebook um our facebook page i'm still I'm still in facebook jail john so i I'm done I think I'm done, <laughs> but you can ah oh, jeez yeah, they can still message us there if they have any questions about that stuff we'll uh we'll be able to get back' we'll, we'll get figure get back something to out
1: for you. We just have to be we just have to be clever,
0: yeah, yeah. Don't, All right, so... Don't, like, post about vaccines for the... You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just chill for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, even just memes that have nothing to do with it, apparently they're on to me. I don't know what it is, but anyway. yeah uh, I don't know. They got your IP address or something. yeah That's probably what it is. Yep. All right, well, this is the last half of our, our episode, and, and given the fact that it's going to be Christmas very soon, and it is the last episode of the year. Uh, we thought it would be pertinent to maybe just uh, have ourselves an eschatological Christmas. And <laughs> I, I simply wanted to, John, John and I are going to just share some thoughts back and forth. We're going to read part of the Christmas story, and we thought it would be fun to just sort of go back to what, why is Christmas what it is, and especially why is Christmas post-mill? And why, why do we think that? Why do yeah. we say that? What do you, what do you, first, John, though, you got to give us a technical definition. Give us a, d- define post millennialism <laughs> for us.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. Obviously, a lot of our listeners will know what it is, but if you're new here or if you're not quite certain, then that's okay. I highly recommend you go read some, you know, David Chilton or Ken Gentry on this topic or Greg Bonson. Um, But the the idea is postmillennialism is an eschatological position having to do specifically with like where is the second coming of Christ in relation to the kingdom. That's why it's called postmillennial, right? So with postmillennialism, it's basically the the doctrine that the second coming of Christ happens at the culmination or the the end of the growing of the, the millennial kingdom. So that's where the second coming of Christ is located, at the end of the millennial kingdom as opposed to at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, which would be the premillennial position. Right. So that's a lot of technicalities. That probably doesn't mean a lot to some people. <laughs> and that's okay. Um, that's okay if that doesn't really mean a lot to you. Uh, I would say a more practical explanation of what postmillennialism is, is the idea that the gospel will win in history over time. Uh, that the, the kingdom of God will continue to grow and influence uh, over the world, over all the nations, over time by the power of the gospel. And that's going to be within history. It's not going to be uh, this sort of optimism, which is basically everything's going to go bad and then everything is going to be great at the end all of a sudden. No, it's this is a growing, this is a. Um, a uh, mustard seed growing sort of idea right it's not all at once it is a progressive growth throughout history of the kingdom of god so we're optimistic we believe that the gospel will take effect uh it's not something that we think that we we have to teach but we don't really have any hope of it you know working right right. um (laughs) it's something that we have hope in that it actually does matter in society and in culture and in history and it might not always progress in the ways we want it to, or the ways we suspect it to, um, but it does win.
0: The gospel wins. Yeah, and you might say too with that, John, and you're basically saying this, but emphasis on the Great Commission that it will be accomplished. That right? It wasn't just wishful thinking on God's part. Hey, I'm going to send you out, but you know, just do what you can. I know it's going to be rough, but you know, just just try.
1: Yeah, the idea that the the nations will be discipled, not just people from the nations, which is oftentimes the um, kind of the interpretation right. of that. We believe that the the nations will be discipled, and be taught everything that Christ has has taught us, uh, which would necessitate some sort of theonomic yes. vision as well, yeah.
0: of course. Yeah, and as I prepped for my my um, my message for this post mill conference. I made an allusion to that—that that basically postmillennialism is very much runs in concert with theonomy and covenant theology, you know, high high octane theonomy, you might want to call it. And obviously, we would connect it with presuppositionalism as well, and of course, basic Reformed theology and Calvinism and understanding the sovereignty of God, those types of things, and. And so post millennialism fits into that because post mill is simply the blueprints of the where this thing is headed, and how do we get there? Well, those other things play a part. Yeah. So that that being means- you no, know, you're absolutely right. It, it's
1: yeah, you're um, you're absolutely right because if you're not post like theonomy could still be relevant to you, but you don't actually think it's going to be something that you have to deal with. So it's more of an abstract question that you ask. Um, but it's not something that is immensely practical. But if you're a post millennial, eventually you have to ask the question: Well, if the gospel is going to win over in society within history, then how are we to govern society? And when you ask that question, that's when you become a, theonom- a theonomist.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So inevitably, though, we're we're upon Christmas, and you and I would agree that Christmas is very much that post mill, <laughs> and. It's, very, very much. It's, yeah. it's it's all about post-mill. And, and in large part, mostly because, like, you know, biblically or exegetically, we would say, you know, Christ's incarnation was the beginning of his millennial reign, so to speak. And we get a lot of this this sort of vision of this from the Old Testament, from the prophets. The prophets had a lot of predictive function in their prophecies. They weren't always just trying to tell the future. A lot of them were, were simply... Um, uh, not so much foretelling, and, but forthtelling. This is what God expects of you, and if you don't but, do this, good teachers, right? Yes, yeah, teacher, yeah, exactly. So they're trying to tell Israel to come back to God, to to pursue Him, to you know become covenant members in the purest sense, have a circumcised heart, so to speak, um, and well, literally. But that was the, that was the aim of the covenant. But along along those lines, you had, for example, Isaiah chapter nine. And um, I wrote about this book, and wrote about this section in my book on, on um, eschatology and Christmas. I referenced the title earlier, but Isaiah 9:6 or 7 says this: "For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. This is a classic Christmas text. And the government will rest on his shoulders. The government being, of course, the weight of godly rule, according to the Father. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace." There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this is a, a, a wonderful text. It's a Christmas text. It's a passage that basically affirms the fact that Jesus Christ's kingdom was given to him at his birth. For unto us a, a child will be born. And so on his shoulders, on this kid's shoulders, essentially, if I could speak loosely here and paraphrase, this kid's going to carry on his shoulders uh, the, the magnificent rule and reign of God. And so the kingdom was given to him at his birth. It was, we you and I would agree that the atonement plays a significant role too, because that's where uh, his kingdom was legally actualized in his death and resurrection. And of course, it's asserted, in the world through his ascension where he has you know as a as a as a um, as a king he's been established as king and he uh, his present session as a king is all about the the conquering of the nations <laughs> so that's isaiah 9 yeah very cool any thoughts you want to interject on that one
1: uh just that the connection between the birth of Christ and post not isn't, isn't uh, just a vague, oh, well, we have hope in Christ because we're post millennial and obviously Jesus was born on Christmas, therefore christmas is possible it's more than that yeah uh, the connection is much more in depth than that we're saying that the actual prophecies of christ coming to earth um th- through a woman as a child those prophecies not only prophesied the coming of jesus but the coming of the king who will reign forever um so those prophecies are all mixed in together so like the texts that we have on postmillennialism are oftentimes also the christmas texts
0: right and I would point our listeners to lambsrain.com, and you can search for our friend Jordan Wilson's article, End the Lies, Joy to the World, is is a Christmas song. And he, he wrote this a few years ago, um, but the whole argument was that uh, Christ's coming is his reign. He will reign. The Savior will will reign. The, the joy to the world, the Lord will come. The Lord is come. And so he, he makes a great argument with that, that uh, John 1, 1 John 3 eight the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, Revelation 21 5, and he who was seated on the throne, behold, I'm making all things new. So all this stuff about the gospel going far as the curse is found is all about a king who was enthroned, on high. He presently demands that we prepare him room. He presently rules the world. He presently makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So, if you haven't read Jordan's article on that, you got to go read it. It's really, really good for our listeners. So, the prophets predicted it, and then we get to the New Testament. We get to Luke chapter 1 and 2. And, and John, I know you're going to, I'm going to have you, you read John 2 in a second, but I wanted to just simply point
1: Luke, out... Luke 2.
0: Or sorry, yeah, Luke 2. Uh, your name is your name is John. You're going to read Luke 2.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out.
0: So in 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 Luke chapter 1, you have this story of Mary being told what's going to happen. And we have this song of hers, the song of praise, the Magnificat, it's called. And she says, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and by and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, which is true. For He is He is mighty and has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercies for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts." He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So th- this song of Mary is really good, and it's been a subject of a whole lot of things, including you know symphonies and songs and so on, and Mary's rejoicing in the fact that the Christ has come. He's the one who has fulfilled Abraham's promises. He's the one that is bringing all of Israel's story, all of Israel's hopes, all the way to fruition in his coming. So Mary Mary didn't she know. She did know.
1: After all. <laughs> she, she, all right, cool. I just wanted to
0: get that. I just wanted yeah, to get that There's clear. a lot of funny yeah. memes about that, actually. <laughs> Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. She knew. But it's just a great passage to, to, to ponder and thinking on how God, my Savior, he, 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 she's rejoicing in God, my Savior. He is the salvation of Israel, and thus he's the salvation of the world as well. And then, of course, we get into Luke 2, Luke 2, 1 through 21. John, if you would read that.
1: Yeah, I'll go ahead and read that. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was also a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there is no place for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that... Um, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known this the saying that has been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they have heard and seen, as it was told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb.
0: And that is Luke's version of the Christmas story. Thank you for reading that. I think what kind of what I wanted to point out with regard to Luke's telling, especially when you consider Luke 1 and 2, which sets the tone for the rest of the book, and obviously for the book of Acts as well, Luke was the author of both, is basically this idea that this great responsibility of gathering a fully regenerated, covenantally faithful people for the purposes of transforming all nations and all institutions, it began the moment that Christ entered the womb. And there's a reason the gospel writers emphasize this. You know, John doesn't have a birth story. The gospel of John starts within the beginning was the word. And that's his version of the story, his telling. He goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. But here Luke emphasizes this idea that the Savior has come and he's the one who's going to transform the nations. And uh, the people who heard this understood it quite well, that that was their goal. They were going to see the nations transformed. That was what Israel's purpose was always supposed to be. If you want to know what Israel was supposed to be, you look at Jesus. Jesus is Israel. (laughs) He's the faithful one. So the political interests of God on the earth started the moment the Holy Spirit conceived this miraculous unification of the divine Son of God with humanity in the womb of of the Virgin. And that's part of the miracle of the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas, the fact that God became man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Thoughts from your perspective, John? Anything you wanted to add on that Christmas story?
1: No, you did good.
0: <laughs> no, you're. Um, no, that's that's good. That's good stuff. So um, one thing that I've been doing, we've been walking through the Book of Romans at Crossing Crown Church, and and uh, you get to Romans ten four, and you see this phrase that Paul uses that that Christ is the goal of the law, or it's the end. He's the telos of the law. He's where all of the um, Hope of Israel was going to all, all the law of God, the the um, you know you think of the psalmist the, the 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 prophets even Moses himself everything was pointing to this place where he's the goal he's the purpose purpose of the law of God and the reason I bring this up is because when we talk about Christmas Christmas is an eschatological reckoning for Israel and thus for the world um, I know you've read a, quite a bit of Gary North too John and and he's he's talked about this in some of his writings but there's this idea of a of historical discontinuity or disruption and that's what's fascinating to me about christmas is that god disrupted everything <laughs> the world was kind of whole humming along doing its own thing and god decides to to disrupt it and and you might even say christmas is god's invasion plan you know it, it, it's his invasion plan so Christ comes, He lives a perfect life, He dies. He in Christ, God strangles death to death. But the question I, I wanted to ask, you know, for our, our discussion a little bit more is, what does the birth of Christ do for us? You know, why does it matter that Christ came? Why does it matter that Christ was the incarnate Word?
1: Oh goodness, uh, big question! It matters hugely. Um, God predestined a, a, a way of salvation before the foundations of the world and part of that plan of salvation had to do with an actual atonement that had to be satisfactory so part of all of that includes Jesus God actually living a life on earth uh, actually being tempted uh, just like any other man would be tempted and actually dying and in in order for him to die that sort of physical death he has to be actually born as a human so it's all wrapped up into the gospel where we don't get the cross without the birth we don't get the gospel without the birth um yeah it has to be a real historical event uh there is obviously you know some liberal scholars who will focus on, well, just the meaning of the gospel or the meaning of the cross, but it doesn't, it can't, it can't work that way. It actually has to be a real death on a real cross with a real man. And that, that, that necessitates, um, the real bodily pregnancy of Jesus Christ within Mary and, and right. birth. And it has the, the Christmas story has to be real for the gospels to be real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with that point, you have this, this idea that, that the incarnation of Christ was not a mystical event which birthed a religion of mysticism. <laughs> I think there, there's a lot of people that, like you mentioned, the liberal scholars who will essentially say, well, we don't need a virgin birth anyway, uh, you know, or, or guys like Albert Schweitzer who will, who will say, well, you know, Jesus was, a, was a, a prophet of his time. He was an apocalyptic prophet. And things didn't go the way he thought they would, so he died. And the church said, "Well, you know what? Let's, you know, let's just have a memorialization of Jesus." And so it, it wasn't the incarnation was an absolutely an ethical event, which birthed the religion of dominion. That's why I see post Christmas being very post millennial, because it, the incarnation wasn't just so we could feel funny about it. It had real time ramifications, something you referenced there a, a second ago. So it's an ethical event, meaning here's a perfect man. Who is born in Israel, finally being who Israel was called to be. And the, he, not only is he perfect, but he does that which is perfect and that which is pleasing to God. <laughs> and so out of that, out of that is a religion of dominion. That's the the point that I, I really want to emphasize. So it wasn't this... No, I think that's... Uh... Go ahead.
1: I, I just think that that's a wonderful point. And... Um you have the ontology and the, uh, the transcendence of Jesus as, as God and as King, but you also have the ethics of him living out, you know, his life perfectly uh, without sinning, without blemish. Um, And you have, you have a situation in which God becomes flesh um, and he's fully God and fully man. And how that teaches such a beautiful holistic faith that can't be pietistic. Yes. I don't think you can get some sort of this pietism, this kind of dualistic, uh hyper spiritualism this mysticism i don't think you can get that while actually affirming a orthodox view of the hypostatic union an orthodox view of the incarnation an orthodox view of the cross because i mean christian theology is so beautiful and how these things work together but it's like no like flesh died on the cross god died on the cross um not one not the other both right and how our, our faith that both is spiritual and temporal is, is has to do with living our life rightly before God, but also going and
0: living out in the world
1: rightly before God.
0: Um, yeah. It's necessary. Yeah, that's really good. And that's kind of something that when you think about the incarnation, it's not either this neoplatonistic idea where Christ came to redeem us from space and time, and I think that's where a lot of escapist eschatologies come come into play, but it's actually a redemption that's a true redemption that our ethical deviation is now no longer the case because we've been redeemed for the purposes of space and time. And I think that's another emphasis of why it's important that Christ came, why Christ became human, why, why Jesus became human, um, the Son of God. And, and so, you know, all that to say that this, this massive discontinuity, there were two major discontinuities, of course, his birth and his resurrection. Um, his death was a regular act in the sense of continuity, because people die, and that was a real human right. thing.
1: Romans, dead Roman things. Yes. Yeah. So this
0: great discontinuity, of the Virgin-born child, isn't just something that we remember, almost like a romanticization of Christmas. It's actually something we possess for the advancement of the kingdom in history. You know, God God demonstrated His control over history by His victory in history, and that demonstration is obviously now. An ongoing project that involves all of us, each and every one of us. So Christmas is actually an act of war, <laughs> you might say. Uh, war on the powers that be so that Christ can be honored and, and be worshipped in the nations.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's great stuff.
0: So when, when, uh, when God broke in, we talk about this act of discontinuity for Christmas, that starry night when Christ was born, that was a moment when if you think of it in terms of temporalness, creation began to lose its space outside of God. All right, this is this is some ideas that I've, I was teasing in, in the book. There, I think it becomes by grace this place where God becomes to dwell, and the miracle that that is, where God comes and dwells within us. So now there's this mutual indwelling in the sense that the world, the world is now in God's presence. Because usually we just think of, well, God, you know, Jesus came. He was incarnated. God's, God's presence is in the world. But the truth is now the, the world is in God's presence. And that's where humanity is made new. That's where creation is made new. That's where people can experience healing and hope. And, and I think that's the beauty of Christmas. So it's absolutely a post-millennial idea um, for sure. So, John, what... No, what absolutely. might you say, yeah. as as far as in light of that, what what might you say? I don't, you know, somewhat putting you on the spot because uh, we're we're sort of just going with it. We'll we'll see how I do. Yeah, <laughs> we're just going with it. <laughs> but I mean, what what might you say? Just just thinking in terms of, you know, twenty twenty has been kind of chaotic and um, for various reasons. And w- how do we go into Christmas with right thinking? you know, in light of all the chaos? What, what might you say to that?
1: I think that's a really good question. And um, I think a lot of this has to do with perspective and proportion and having proper perspective. Um, obviously the things that happen to me personally, I feel a lot more than say somebody who's remote from me when I'm just telling them the story about what happened. right? Like my anxieties mean a lot more to me than somebody else's. It's much more real to me, it's much more close to me. Um, What's happened in my life or what's happened to my friends or family is much more real and close to me than something that might've happened 100 years ago, right? Where if my family struggles with, say, my dad getting laid off from work or something, just hypothetically speaking, that is much more real to me than, say, like the Great Depression when so many more people were unemployed. it's just not an accurate reflection of reality my my emotional perceptions of these events aren't an accurate representation of reality so when i'm thinking of 2020 and how we should view 2020 in light of post the post-millennial hope we have in christ uh in his art incarnation at christmas i think it's important for us to really look at things in perspective the, the fact that there isn't this mass starvation going on there there's they're not bread lines Like in the the worst times of Soviet Russia, Um, almost everybody can read, can write. Uh, Infant mortality rates are low, so they've ever been. Um, Almost everybody's got heating and air conditioning. Um, We're podcasting on high speed internet and four K cameras. Things are. Things aren't great in 2020 in comparison to, say, my own lived experience, but my own lived experience isn't the standard, and I think that's the that's the clinch pin right there. Is that my own lived experience with how I feel like my posh American comfortable life should be, um, isn't an accurate representation of the history of the world, in which the yeah. time in which the time in which Jesus Christ was born, there really wasn't a society in the world that didn't practice some kind of like human sacrifice yeah uh, there, there wasn't there wasn't a society known to history that gave any kind of rights whatsoever to women or slaves or conquered people um it was a extremely dark time in the world um massive amounts of violence there's very little understanding of Law or equity under the law, um, and human rights, civil rights, technology, uh, innovation in agriculture and markets and economics, and all of these things progressed as the gospel progressed. Where the the um, mm-hmm. the victory of the gospel can be seen throughout the growth. Of all of these factors working together and sometimes we we think of this in terms of like western civilization when it's really christian civilization and that can be that can be western because just the way history has worked out through the european expanse of christendom uh but we also see that in other enclaves in the world that wasn't very western but it was also christian you also see similar advances in those places And, and so whenever i think of 2020 again it's like we need perspective Yes. Where I wasn't able to see my family as much as I would like to over Christmas isn't the same thing as dealing with the bubonic plague and not having any civil rights whatsoever. Where the assurance that I would own my home tomorrow, unless my my petty lord decides otherwise, that's not like a worry of mine. It's not an anxiety of mine. Um, while just the basic assurance of property rights, the super basic assurance of very fundamental property rights was extremely uncertain for almost everybody for most of history. Um, So just having that kind of perspective I think is so important. And I don't want to sit around and say like the world's perfect. Like we have like on-demand abortion, for example, right? Um, But I also think that we need to really understand how far we've actually come and try to get our thoughts and ideas about 2020 out of our own lived experience and more into an historical context in which we can at least try to empathize a little bit with how most people lived um, in the past yeah the vast majority of history uh, lived in ways that we would find intolerable today
0: yeah, that's really good, John. I think that's hu- hugely important. Especially given the fact that eschatological pessimism is thriving. It always thrives on newspaper theology, yeah. right? <laughs> it's what Oh, absolutely. I've in the news? I've totally
1: Oh yeah. I've totally seen memes recently. I, I should have grabbed one when I saw it that were like, you know, it was about post millennialism and it was all it, all it said was like twenty twenty, then it said, What now post millennials? And yeah. I was like, don't be, a whi- don't be a whiny brat. Like, you have no yeah. idea how good you actually have it. And it's like, yeah. yeah, people are suffering and there's like real things going on that are really bad. But like, you know what? You are typing that on Facebook.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, that means you still have like high speed internet to your house. Like, there's, there's gigabytes and gigabytes of data and images and text and videos going from your tiny little phone to space and back and you're complaining as if like that this disproves post it's utterly absurd um, but I think you know outside of economics and technology and air conditioning and like quality of like safe food and water all these things right uh, the heart of post isn't in that right The heart of postmillennialism isn't about those things. Those are consequences of the gospel. Those are consequences of postmillennialism. But that's not the heart of postmillennialism. The heart of postmillennialism is that the gospel goes forth. So we can actually have downturns in certain things in society where uh, there could be different tribulations or turmoil or there could be an economic downturn or depression or an upheaval or some sort of tyrannical whatever you know there can be definitely uh dips along the way um but that doesn't matter because our hope isn't in our circumstances our hope is in the gospel and the gospel whatever happens keeps on marching along and all the consequences of the gospel those things that come along in a just society like you know, a good markets and good economics and freedoms and technology; those things will come along, but those things are, aren't aren't They're just consequences yeah. of postmillennialism.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's really good. I want to give a couple final thoughts. I, I think for me, when I think about Christmas and in in, in twenty twenty, I, I think the, the the mission has always been the same. Right, the mission's always been the same. The role of humanity, if we want to be true to Christmas, is to exercise the prophetic, priestly, and kingly responsibilities that we now possess as members of Christ so we, we are always to shed light in the dark world as prophets who herald the truth of God in reality as priests we are are to steward and care for the world not least the people in the world providing assistance healing nurture to those who are hurting um, I, I think of uh, Florence Nightingale who, who said that basically what impressed her about Christ the most is he always went to the sick <laughs> he always went to to, to the hurting now, and as kings, we are responsible to manage God's covenant institutions by faithfully discharging our, our kingly calling to administrative guardianship of the covenant blessings that God has given us. So I think this, this simply means that we, we know we have answers, um, you know, when it comes to theonomy and postmillennialism, we have answers to the realm of money and healthcare and education and all these other issues. We have solutions to the problems that plague and perplex society in places like politics and criminology and... And our task is the healing of the nations, and and the saving balm of the justice and mercy of Christ. That's the only true and lasting balm. And and when I think when I think about Christmas, I, I find it absolutely thrilling that the, the the inbreaking of the kingdom, the moment Christ was born, the kingdom again being legally set forth in his death death and resurrection, that became the basis of God's plan to reverse the curse. And to create a world where sin is, is dismissed and holiness runs rampant instead of, of humanism or paganism. And from thenceforth God has determined to undermine the forces of evil and he is putting he's putting his enemies under his feet. And so when I think of Christmas and post millennialism, I think of 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 godly activity in the world and and not losing hope and making memes that are silly like that. That one you just mentioned. So, um, I, I wanted to sneak in a last question. Any books that you're looking forward to reading in 2021? Uh,
1: there's a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly, I want to read, by Orland. That's a good book. And uh, I think it, ha- it has, yeah, I, I've heard so many good things about it. Um, there's a book called Jesus and John Wayne that I want to read, which has to do with um, a lot of kind of racist fundamentalism in evangelicalism and the roots of that and how it's influenced evangelicalism in a negative way. So that'll probably be a controversial one that I'm looking forward to trying out.
0: <laughs> Good. I am going to make it a goal to read the work complete works of Francis Schaeffer in 2021.
1: Oh, that's a big one. Yeah, I think he has cool. got
0: it. C- Crossway put out a six volume set and I got it a few years ago and I've read some of his books just you know, one-off books, but I want to try to read through the entire set. So that's a goal. (laughs) That's a goal. No, that's a
1: great goal. Yeah. I like Schaefer a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, folks, our aim is the kingdom of God. And we want the kingdom of God to be made palatable, palatable and present in the affairs of mankind. His heart, his mind, his institutions. That's our aim. Christmas is that post mill because Christmas is all about Christ being established as Lord and King. And so I believe, John, that's it for us for this year. Merry Christmas to you. Yep. And a Happy New Year to you. Merry Christmas to you, Jason. <laughs> and for all our listeners tuning in, thank you all for for being with us. And may the Lord grant you peace and rest. And uh, may He calm our anxieties as a nation. So we will see you next time. Our, our hope is in Him. Yes, indeed. All right, until next time, grace and peace to you all.